I want to welcome you as we're here with what we're calling Sunday nights as foundations, going over some foundational Christian doctrines. We've been talking about uh, the doctrine of the Trinity we've touched on. We've been looking at God's attributes last week on the same tonight. And so as we think about God's attributes just by way of review, I thought it'd be very helpful for us just to be reminded of what that concept means. These are things about God that are inherent. They're essential to who he is. And they are not like building blocks that if we take these different attributes and put them together, the the sum total of them is God. These are things that characterize him in his entire nature, in his entire being. And as we think about the doctrine of the Trinity, they are equally applicable Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's really hard to wrap our minds around these things because we're finite He's infinite, and so we take an aspect of him and try to understand it, but we can never really fully get it because we have to consider him as a whole, and that's just beyond us. But we're doing our best to try to understand what these things are because this is the God who's revealed to us uh, in the Bible. There we go. So let's just uh, skip forward here a couple slides, and we are going tonight look at... um, the attributes that God can share with us. So last week we looked at um, attributes that are uniquely and solely applicable to God. Tonight we're going to look at attributes of God that we can experience, that can become a part of who we are. Um, And these relate, there are those that relate to his goodness. Last week we looked at God's greatness, and again, these are just kind of broad categories to kind of help us wrap our minds around these attributes. God's greatness were his things like um, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his, uh, his, he's eternal, he's infinite apart from time. These things relate to God's goodness. They're otherwise known as the moral attributes of God. And the fact that they can be shared with us means they're also what's called communicable attributes of God. If you're in the Crosslands course, you know we've been talking about these things called the incommunicable and the communicable, which I joked last week makes them sound a bit like a disease. But it's helpful as we get to the end of this to understand what that term communicable means. But what I would like to also say, it is far more important that we interact with the concept of the attribute than to remember the labels. I want you to remember the labels. I think we're capable of of dealing with far more sophisticated things than some of us give ourselves credit for. But I think we can grasp what communicable and incommunicable means. It's far more important that we deal with those. So God's moral attributes, what are they? His goodness. And I want us to look at them in terms of three categories. The verses we have on the screen here will lead us into the first one. But purity integrity, and love. Purity, integrity, and love. So as we survey the pages of the Bible, we encounter, in terms of this idea of purity, God's holiness. Isaiah chapter 6 is a very helpful passage considering what the holiness of God means. Uh, We talked a bit about God's holiness this morning um, and with Moses and, and the burning bush. Here we have an encounter of Isaiah the prophet having an encounter with God in Isaiah chapter 6 and beginning of verse 3. It's this, this vision of a throne room uh, of God being in the temple rather. 
and his robe is filling the temple and there's this angelic worship going on and they were calling to one another saying this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So that word that is translated holy there three times, which in Hebrew was meant to say a superlative. This is like this quality to the nth degree. And so he was saying this is a defining quality of God. It is his in the, the, the most extreme expression. And that term holy can carry two different senses in the Old Testament. It's a word translated this morning, as Mike commented in the Hebrew, that means to, to cut and set apart. To cut something up and set it apart. And the, the meaning in that is that something is set apart as, as other, <laughs> you might say. It's, it's set apart as, as higher, maybe sacred, from that which is considered common. Which this morning, if you were here, is why the Lord said to Moses, to take off his sandals because the ground on which he was standing was holy because God's presence was there. It wasn't just common ground. It was holy ground. So its main idea is something that's other. But in that sense, we see it in this passage with, did you notice how things were shaking and rattling around with, with this worship of God and of his presence? That sense of holiness carries the idea of God's majesty his greatness, kind of going back to what we were talking about last week. The reality that he is not like anything or anyone else. As we said this morning, when God says, I am all the other gods or not. He alone is God. That's what this means. But in this passage, we also see that holiness has a moral dimension to it as well. Holiness has a moral dimension to it as well. Notice how Isaiah in this passage acknowledges that he's in peril before God's holiness. Why? Slightly different than our passage this morning because he says, I am a man of unclean lips. He's not pure. Can you see the connection between the thought of holiness and purity? He says, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He's encountered God's holiness and not only is it great and powerful and majestic and other, there's a moral quality to it as well. Isaiah is lacking it. He is impure. He lacks holiness, that he needs cleansing in comparison to God's holiness and purity. And we're no different than the prophet Isaiah when it comes to our own lack of holiness and need for cleansing, which God has made available to us through his son Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unwickedness and to what? purify for himself, that concept of setting apart for himself, of people for his very own, eager to do what is good. 
And it's only through Jesus and the grace that is available to us through him that we can be purified from our own sin and share in this holiness of God. I'll mention this again later. These are communicable, shareable attributes. They are not meant to be thought of in terms of self-attainable attributes. That I in my own strength can become holy like God. No, that's, that's not how that works. But as we'll see as we live in dependence upon God, how he produces those things in us. And this is important. This idea of God's holiness for you as a follower of Jesus, even if you're not a follower of Jesus here tonight, we're going to see um, why this is so important. But God does command that we actually pursue holiness. In the moral sense of the word, he says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, I don't have this on the screen, but he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. God's holiness, when you wake up tomorrow morning, As a follower of Jesus, as I wake up as a follower of Jesus, is what should shape and determine my goals for the day. It's the filter through which and the aspiration towards which um, I should be arranging my life, the habits of my life, the choices of my life. And in some sense, related to this idea of, of purity and holiness is the reality that God is also righteous and just. He's righteous and just. He is righteous. What does that mean? It means he's only capable of doing that which is right. (laughs) And just, it means he upholds what is right and he requires that others adhere to the same standard. This is why I said, whether you're a follower of Jesus today or not, the fact that God is holy and an extension of that in his purity, that he's righteous and that he's just, is that God not only does what is right, but he, his justice is active in the world and that he, he, he holds all that all need to adhere to what is right. An example of this that we see in the Old Testament that we went through in the book of Genesis is in Genesis chapter 18 where we see this idea of God's righteousness and his justice on display. This is, the context of this is when the Lord is going to send judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah and it says Abraham uh, approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? That last question is a bit of a rhetorical question, isn't it? And the answer Obviously, that should spring out of our hearts as well. Of course, he'll do what's right. What else could he do? And in this passage, you see both attributes of God's justice and his righteousness and that he's being described as being capable of only doing what is right and also just by holding that which is not right to account. That he'll do the right thing and he'll hold others to do the right thing. So God's holiness, his righteousness... And justice call us to consider this as like his purity. If we put those under an umbrella type of category for these attributes. 
moving on that we might get through these other ones tonight. Another category through which to approach God's attributes is that of integrity. Integrity, meaning that God is true. As we talked this morning, that He is the true God, the only God, authentic, genuine, and real. Jesus emphasized this attribute and connected it to knowing what eternal life really is. In John 17, verse 3, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He's the one true God, this integrity aspect of who he is, that he is real, he is genuine, authentic, he measures up in every respect, and his being true then also means that he is also trustworthy. The writer of Hebrews uh, said it this way, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of that what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which, this is what I want you to hear, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. It is impossible for God to lie. Not that he could and he wouldn't, but by his very nature it's impossible for him to lie. And that is so vitally important for you here tonight. For if God makes a promise... Regarding, now this is eternal life, that you might know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that any who come to me, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe not. Maybe I'll change my mind on that one, or maybe I was just, you know, when my kids were little, they'd say, just tricking, Dad, just tricking. <laughs> and God's never going to say to us, just tricking. He won't. It's impossible for him to lie. His being is such that he cannot he is true and trustworthy, as is everything he does and says. The fact that he is faithful also comes into this. That another attribute of this category, if we're thinking of God's integrity, not just that he's true, not just that he's trustworthy, but that he is faithful. This is an aspect of his integrity. I'll put this verse up on the screen from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Where it says, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And he goes on to say that if we have put our trust in him like that, that God will enable us to stand firm to the end, that he's given us his spirit, who he says is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. God is faithful, is what this is trying to communicate. It comes out of the fact that he is a God that is a God of integrity. He is true, only capable of doing that which is right. He is incapable of lying, incapable of being duplicitous. He makes promises and keeps them, guaranteed. Because that's who he is by his very nature. There's nothing outside of himself that compels him to do it. Like sometimes we obey the speed limit because there's a camera sign that compels us to obey it. Some of you are identifying with that maybe more than others in the room. But there's nothing outside of God that compels him to be truthful. It is who he is. And this is an attribute 
that we're meant to share in, to become like him. Paul in the book of Ephesians says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You were made to become like him. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Did you catch that? Does that give you a vision and an understanding for your life and your relationship with King Jesus that goes way beyond just a series of activities at church and religious things, that we are created in Christ to become like him in his character, sharing in his righteousness, his holiness, And in that he is true in what we say and how we conduct ourselves that we are true as well. Again, thinking of these things in light of these categories of of God's purity with his holiness, righteousness, and justice. God's integrity that he is faithful, that he is true, that he is trustworthy. We're going to look at some categories now uh, and attributes now that can be categorized as what most people, when we think of the attributes of God... Perhaps if you ask a person who's had never any experience with the Bible or with church, most people would say God is love. Most of us in the room could probably identify with this attribute of God more so than all of the other ones. But again, coming back to the attributes of God, they come as a package. <laughs> We're considering them individually because that is the only way in our finiteness we can begin to comprehend and understand God. But his love is a holy love. And his holiness is also characterized by his love. They, they all go together. There is no tension between them. But it is an essential element of who he is, these attributes of love. In fact, the Apostle John said this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then he goes on and he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So in these verses, we see love as an attribute of God. God is love. But we also see that God being love is something that we are meant to share in as those who are born of him. See that everyone who loves has been born of God. It's an aspect of his life within us. So what does God being love look like in action? As we read these verses, maybe put it this way, from where do these actions that we've just read about emanate in his being? Because love can be kind of, um, well, we can define love in many different ways, can't we? And there's aspects of God's love as we look through the scriptures that theologians have categorized in different ways. Because in these verses, God's love moved him to send his son 
that we might benefit. Now remember, this is where it's important that we think about the greatness of God first before we consider his love. Because part of one of the things of God's greatness is he's completely independent. Now one of us in the room, in terms of our loving relationships with others, could say that we're completely independent. We love and give love back, and that's just kind of the way of the nature of human relationships. But God is completely independent, self-sufficient, in need of nothing outside of himself. God is not emotionally needy (laughs) that we love him. The fact that he's Trinity means that he has, for all eternity, been in a relationship of love with himself. This is how the Christian God can be an attribute of love. He didn't need to create anything to love. Love existed before he created any substance or anything. So God is completely self-sufficient. Therefore, God's love is a completely benevolent love. What I mean by that, it is a love that completely is other-oriented and sacrificial. He doesn't need us to love him back. He wants us to love him back. And part of that is that that love of us towards him is for our greatest good and for his glory. We are meant to share just as God is a God who gives benevolently, sending his son as the ultimate example of that. We are meant to share in that love, not just to be recipients of it, to be transformed by that love and have it come to life In us, in the way that we love others, is what this passage is saying. If God has loved us in this way and his life has come into us, it is meant that that be communicated into us in the way that we then exhibit that in loving one another. God's love is expressed in this way and it's expressed in that as we see about the God giving of his son, that his love is gracious He is gracious and merciful. Gracious and merciful. Gracious in that we who are recipients of his love are not deserving of it. And merciful in that in his love he does not treat us as we really deserve. I'll just repeat that. And I'll read a a series of verses here to try to drive that home. God's graciousness is when we receive that, It's that we're not deserving of it. Grace, God gives us something we don't deserve. His merciful aspect of his love is that he does not treat us as we do deserve. Listen to and follow along in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4 begins this way. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves, the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. God's mercy and his grace are on display in these verses. He says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. And then he goes on and he talks about his grace. I was reading a 
theology volume this week, and this person put it this way. God's mercy is his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. It is his tenderness of heart toward the needy. If grace contemplates humans as sinful, guilty, and condemned, and then God in his grace gives us something we don't deserve, mercy sees them as miserable and needy and acts with compassion. As we've been going through Exodus in the morning, it is God's mercy that he heard the cries of his people and comes to them. So again, these attributes that we not only benefit from being recipients of God's love and mercy, but they are attributes that as you sit here today and as you go into your life tomorrow, you are meant to share in, I am meant to be sharing in, becoming like God in his character, becoming like him in his purity, like him in his integrity, like him in his love, in the positive sense that we who have been born again of his spirit and are walking with him in truth, it says as we do that, these things will be made manifest in our life because it's the life of God that is being produced in us. As I said earlier, and maybe you're asking this question, maybe you've asked yourself this question many times, how do you change not only what you do, but who you are? How do you change what, not only what you do, but who you are? I remember being probably about 19 or 20 years old and coming to the conclusion that the Christian life was not only very hard and very difficult, it was literally impossible. <laughs> I could not live a faithful Christian life on my own is the key word. So many of us, I feel like, approach God and a relationship with God where we enter into, him, into it with him by grace, through faith, and we feel like that's what gets us in the door. But from there on out, it's pretty much upon us to get ourselves together and work pretty hard at it and do our best and all these other things. But the reality is, we can't change ourselves. And if we think we can, we're deluded. Or we'll come eventually to the point that we realize to try to change ourselves in this way and fail and fail and fail again is slavery and it is not gospel informed or shaped at all. Because these are aspects of God's own character that he shares with us as we each respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. As we're dependent upon him. These are his shared attributes with us. These are his communicable attributes with us. These are not the attributes he lays out there and says, now go attain them on your own. He never says that. These are aspects of who he is. And as we walk with him and his spirit works in us, these are the aspects of God's own character that he shares with us. And they emerge out of an organic relationship with him. Pastor in the U.S., preacher, teacher, A.W. Tozer said it this way, religion can reform a person's life, but it can never transform him. Walking with Jesus is not simply changing what you do, adding some church services in, trying to clean up your talk, your speech, 
For me, that was the issue in my life when I was a young man was to get this mouth under control because the things coming out of it were not honoring to him. And I had a friend who confronted me and said, the things coming out of your mouth are not the things consistent with the child of God. And I said, (laughs) but he was right. And later on, I had to pray as a young person saying, God, this mouth is not my own. You bought it with a price. I offer it back to you. And let the words come out of it be honoring to you. I can't change myself, but will you change me? And at that moment, when the Holy Spirit of God started working in my life to give me victory over that, I tried and tried and tried and couldn't do it. That's the point. I couldn't. I needed the purity of God to come and work in my life. We cannot attain these things in our own strength, by our own will, but the Spirit enables us and transforms us as we live a life in His presence dependent upon Him. And that's why these attributes that we've talked about tonight are the communicable attributes of God. These are the things as we've worshipped God earlier, how great is our God and amazing and distant and, you know, transcendent. I'm so glad Mike used that word this morning because I can use it now. It's been introduced. The transcendence of God. He's, he's big. He's other. But he's also knowable. And he loves us and wants us to love him. And as we walk with him in this way, in this ever-growing relationship with King Jesus, they will inevitably emerge in our lives for our good and for his glory. So let me pray, and then Dave's going to come and and lead us in one last song before we transition to what's next. So let's pray. Father, we uh, confess tonight again. (laughs) We are insufficient for these things. We've only scratched the surface and even in some ways I'm sure weren't even fully um, adequate in the words that were used or the thoughts that were formed to give honor to you. But Lord, I pray that you would take this um, insufficient and inadequate offering and use it tonight that hearts might know you better, that someone here tonight might feel fully for the first time that they are truly loved, no strings attached, And that you can be depended upon and trusted when you make promises, promises that deal with our eternal destiny, that they are rock solid. And so, Lord, open our eyes, as I prayed earlier, and open our hearts to respond to you, the great and glorious and good God that you are, for who you really are, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.